0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. All right, so it's the Memorial Day weekend, and I'm driving around your beautiful Tamales Bay, and I'm thinking, you know, there's a song I want to hear, and I look back into my collection of CDs in the backseat, and and by God, I had the right album there. It seemed to hit the right musical spot in a beautiful, sunshiny day, and it certainly reflects on what we do here at Radio Parallax. Do you hear
1: me? Do you care? Do you hear me? Do you
0: care? Yeah, I liked it back in, I guess it was 82, 83, and I like it now. My lips are moving and the sound's coming out. The words are audible. But I have my doubts. You realize what has been said. And a few decades later, I guess three decades later, of course, I think it's even more appropriate to wonder, with all the distractions we have now, that that you look at me as if you're in a daze. It's like the feeling at the end of the page when you realize you don't know what you just read. Of course, here's where the, the old meets the new. I pulled the lyrics up on the internet and... Took a look at some of the, uh, the less clear lyrics. And I like the part at the end. Media overload bombarding you with action. It's getting near impossible to cause distraction. Someone answer me before I pull the plug. It's a pretty good tune. It does take me back to my days in medical school when uh, my buddy Dave was explaining to me about this song or at least about how Dale Bazio and Missing Persons had interacted with the immortal Frank Zappa. According to Dave, Zappa recommended to Dale Basio that they leave the little squeaks in her voice into the song because it would add something. And of course, Frank Zappa, being a pretty sharp guy, was right about that. At you know, the one thing we love about doing a show like this is we can start it any way we want. As, of course, we just demonstrated it's going to be a little more eclectic show than usual, I think. We expect perhaps to hear it from some of our old friends as this uh, show unfolds. But if it doesn't, we're going to talk about the pile of stuff in front of us. And we are going to start, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. The date today is the 29th of May. It was on May 29th in 1844 when voting for a Democratic presidential campaign deadlocked at the Democratic National Convention in Baltimore. James K. Polk's name was entered as the first, quote, dark horse, unquote, candidate. He, in fact, went on to win the nomination on the ninth ballot and eventually the presidency. We're not sure whether this shows that democracy can sometimes work in spite of itself or that democracy doesn't work in spite of itself. Although James K. Polk wasn't our best president, I guess he wasn't our worst either. He does have this on his record during his administration Texas, was admitted to the union. Alright, on a happier note, it was on May 29th in 1942, and don't ask us why it was in May that this happened, but White Christmas, recording by American singer Bing Crosby, was released by Decca Records. It became the biggest selling single of all time, and of course, it's still played frequently every Christmas season. Uh. Of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know. All right, one year later, May 29, 1943, American artist Norman Rockwell's portrait of Rosie the Riveter appeared on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. It was a tribute to women on the home front working in defense plants during World War II. It's a classic piece of art and, of course, an iconic piece of feminism. And in what is my personal favorite, on 11.30 a.m. on May 29th in 1953, Edmund Hillary of New Zealand and Tenzing Norgay, a Sherpa from Nepal, became the first men to reach the summit of Mount Everest. which At 29,000 feet and change, above sea level is the highest point on Earth. News of their achievement broke around the world on June 2nd, the day of Queen Elizabeth II's coronation, and Britons hailed it as a good omen for their country's future. And since Queen Elizabeth still is the queen, I guess it must have had some good, good juju behind it. All right, our quote of the day comes from David Foster Wallace, who once said, The truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. Our quip of the day comes from Tina Fey, or at least for her writers, who noted in regard to the tribute to Don Rickles, which aired this week on the Spike Channel, The great thing about Don, said Fey, is that his jokes appeal to everyone. Pollocks, Chinamen, the coloreds, broads, everyone. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Seth Meyers, who noted that a group of scientists have started attaching sensors to sharks to help predict hurricane intensity. They're hoping the information they gather will save enough lives to offset the number of lives lost attaching sensors to sharks. And speaking of sensors on sharks, we are going to bring Mike Bonnet back to this program, a man who's, uh, whose documentaries have appeared um, on National Geographic Channel and others during Shark Week because we know Mike's uh, been active in the efforts to stop shark finning and to prevent some of the shark culling going on on in australia so uh, all joking aside i think that's going to be a uh, very important discussion all right our anecdote of the day refers back to may 6th 1954 60 years ago this month when roger banister then an english medical student became the first runner to break the fabled four minute mile barrier It was a feat that some people thought might be impossible. Roger Bannister is still with us. He's 85 years old, although he's fighting Parkinson's disease. And was quoted as saying there was this magic about the four symmetrical laps of one minute each. It was just something which caught the public's imagination. I think it still remains something that is of interest and intrigue. And speaking of intrigues, my favorite story about Bannister was that he was brought over to America to appear, I believe, on the show, What's My Line?, And he had basically no sooner gotten off the airplane and asked somebody about the sponsorship of the show when he was told it was a cigarette company, he turned around and went home. He said that as a medical student, he could not possibly condone a program that would in its own way promote smoking. And to that we say, good on you, Roger Bannister. Our stat of the day, according to GQ, is that with the number of rich people booming worldwide, there's a growing demand for domestics to serve them. Four decades ago, there were, there were only a few hundred butlers left in Britain. Today, there are 10,000. And as you might expect, the fastest-growing butler market is China. And our bonus stat that of the day, which, according to the Washington Post, may be a sign of how quickly attitudes are changing in this country, three, the number would be three, openly gay Republicans are running for Congress this year. And uh, a few weeks back, we decided we would put a good news item or try to on most shows, and I think that the perfect uh, item that represents good news would be this. According to Carleton University Psychological Professor Patrick Hill, having a sense of purpose may add years to your life, and the benefit can be realized throughout adulthood. This is based on a long-term study that tracked the physical and mental health of more than 6,000 Americans aged 20 to 75. Previous research had shown purposefulness to be one of the strongest predictors of longevity, but this may be the first time its impact on mortality has been isolated from other influences. At the outset, participants' sense of purpose was assessed according to their response to statements such as, Some people wander aimlessly through life, but I'm not one of them. They also answered questions about their emotional state and the quality of their relationships. Over the 14-year study period, about 9% of the group died, And those subjects had all scored lower than their counterparts when it came to purposefulness. Reportedly, these findings held even after controlling for factors such as positive outlook, which suggests that purpose itself can drive longevity. Patrick Hill told the BBC, Finding a direction for life and setting overarching goals for what you want to achieve can help you actually live longer, regardless of when you find your purpose. Our purpose, by the way, at Radio Parallax is to inform while we entertain. I kind of did like that uh, statement that they assessed people with in that study. Some people wander aimlessly through life, but I am not one of them. Our variation on that, which I think we've used before, is that some people go through life making things happen. Some people go through life watching things happen. And some people go through life saying, what happened? And I think we're going to segue straight off at this point into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for stoners after the FBI said it might drop its ban on hiring anyone who smoked marijuana in the past three years in order to attract tech-savvy young people. Said FBI Director James Comey, in what seems like a bit of a non-sequitur to me, some of these kids want to smoke weed on the way to the interview. Now, we we here at Radio Parallax are not all that straight-laced, and we're not that in sync with the FBI in most instances. But we do have to take the position that a guy that wants to smoke weed on his way to an interview to be an FBI agent probably isn't bureau material. But then again, hey, maybe it is time to be more all-inclusive. Was, on the other hand, a bad week for, well, is it high-tech medical cures, including brain implants, or would it be just new obsessions? This comes out of a story that a 60-year-old Dutchman received a brain implant in effort to cure his obsessive-compulsive disorder. Reportedly, he then suddenly became a fanatical Johnny Cash fan. The patient said his doctors kept listening simply and solely to Johnny Cash. I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, 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 and the flames went higher And it burns, burns, Yeah, we kind of think he did fall into a burning ring of fire with that one. Which we have to add, well, at least, thank God it was Johnny Cash and not, like, Lil Wayne. I'm sorry, is it Lil Wayne? I I don't know. I don't care. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for sexual liberation. With the news that a Georgia woman is now suing the city of Sandy Springs, Georgia over its law banning the sale of vibrators and other sex toys unless a person can get a doctor's prescription. Now, I have to say, as a practicing physician, and as a practicing physician who, by virtue of having a clinic that treats erectile dysfunction, deals with sexual issues on a daily basis, I have to say that I don't want to be bothered writing prescriptions for sex toys So I guess it's a good thing I don't live in Sandy Springs, Georgia. But at any rate, Melissa Davenport, the person doing the suing, says that sex toys saved her marriage after 24 years when she developed multiple sclerosis. Said Melissa, the law says the government can stick its nose in your bedroom. It's appalling. Well, let's go to the miscellaneous file for a couple of items like this one. Evidently, General Motors had 68 terms... They actually listed 68 terms and told their employees not to use those in written reports documenting potential vehicle safety issues. Words like safety, problem, and defect. This list apparently came to light as part of the ongoing investigation into the company's decade-long failure to disclose defective ignition switches that have been linked to 13 deaths. In case you're keeping score, safety inspection workers were also banned from using words like dangerous, horrific, and rolling sarcophagus in official documents. And, you know, I know this, this is a bit of a shocker. Radio Parallax may find itself somewhat in sync with not only the FBI, but also GM, and noting that a term like rolling sarcophagus in a memo just, just probably isn't a good idea. As the GM legal department pointed out, the use of such terms could later be construed as a legal admission of wrongdoing. The automaker has recalled more than 15 million vehicles so far this year, and federal investigators last week slapped GM with a record $35 million fine for its handling of the ignition defect matter. Also, for the miscellaneous file, we have a piece from USA Today written by a Tracy Watson. Starts out by asking, And you thought gym rat was just a figure of speech? Well, after scientists set up little exercise wheels in the great outdoors, they found out that wild animals, from mice to rats to frogs, gave the workout equipment a spin with no personal trainer in sight. Evidently, one marathon mouse ran for 18 minutes on one of the wheels, which were similar to those used by cage hamsters, mice, rats, and other pets. Apparently, even slugs use the wheels, though it's not clear they succeeded in raising their heart rates. According to Johanna Meyer of Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands, even if animals are in nature, even if they have lots of space around them and and can do whatever they want, they also run on the wheel, and they do that quite a bit. (laughs) Not sure where she's going with this. Now, Supposedly, according to Theodore Garland, an evolutionary physiologist at UC Riverside, Was not associated with this study. The new results are helpful because, quote, if wheel running were considered abnormal or pathological, that would really call into question many of the studies that use it. He said the study shows the wheel is clearly pleasurable. Tracy Watson closed the article by saying, well, whether or not the mice in the study had a good time, the scientists certainly did. (laughs) Quoting Meyer is saying, this is a study I enjoyed. Oh, and I forgot to mention that at one point in the videos that they set up, a slug got into the wheel and, and, and basically was running in it just very, very slowly. Now, I do have a slight addendum to this piece, noting that uh, for many years I had several cages of pet mice. And, of course, if out in your garage you have mice and you have food for mice, well, the wild house mouse sometimes can find its way in to see what's going on. Over the years, I was to capture many of them and put them in and crossbreed them with the white mice that I had. And I have to say, I too was curious to discover whether wild mice would like to run in the wheel. And I discovered, oh my God, do they? In fact, in general, the wild mice were the Roger Bannisters of the, uh, the rodent world. They would climb in that thing and just go pedal to the metal. And yes, for whatever reason, which I certainly could never figure it out, they do seem to enjoy it. There's a lot of talk these days about whether exercise is a good kind of addiction. fact, on Tuesday on National Public Radio, they were talking to a guy who'd run, uh, he was a track coach somewhere, I think in Southern California, I think he'd run for 45 straight years every day. He'd run at least a mile, setting a record of like 16,000 and you know, some odd straight days of running. His viewpoint was that it was a. His viewpoint certainly was that it was a good kind of addiction, and uh, he may be right. We'll, we'll talk about this more in the future. We've taken the position, and we're going to stick by it. That uh, one of the very few things in the world that's probably everything it's cracked up to be would be exercise. All right. We want to quote at least one letter to the editor, and I wish it was a letter to us, playing editor, but in fact, it was from. Bert Wilson, who appeared on this program a couple years ago talking about water issues, the irascible Mr. Wilson wrote the Sacramento Bee to say the following. Regarding Delta Tunnel Plan criticized, there are actually three Delta Science programs, each with a different charge. In addition to the Independent Science Board, there is the Delta Science Program and the Collaborative Science and Adaptive Management Program. The latter is capable of muddying all the science waters. Brenda Berman, Special Projects Manager for the Bay Delta Initiatives for the Metropolitan Water District, has been quoted as describing the responsibilities of the Collaborative Science and Adaptive Management Program as follows. That group is charged with coming up with recommendations and with putting together the plans of what should go forward. What they do goes to a policy group comprised of general managers and CEOs of water agencies, directors of state agencies, regional directors, and representatives from NGOs, non-governmental organizations. Said Burt Wilson, holy cow, the fix was never more in than it is with science and the Delta. You don't know if we mentioned a couple of weeks back, Mr. McMillan, but apparently there's been a handoff in this great uh, Delta replumbing plumbing uh, scheme that is basically overtly turned it over to the water agencies, which, of course, you know, you knew were pulling the strings all along. We're going to have to get Burt Wilson back on this program to talk about this. In the meantime, if you didn't hear his chat on this program on its first go-around, go back and check it out on our website at radioparallax.com. And now let's hear from a guy who knows how to pull his own strings. America's foremost political comic, Will Durst.
1: Hey guys, Will Durst here to say congratulations to all you new graduates out there and welcome to the real world. (coughs) You'll find it surprisingly similar to the environment you just left behind, only different. For one thing, less keggers, unless you're headed for investment banking. (coughs) Obviously most of the advice you've gotten so far is as predictable as Nat King Cole in the elevator while Christmas shopping at Macy's. Typical cliches, winners never quit, and quitters never win, and get up one more time then they knock you down, and nose and toes the same way goes, blah, blah, hootie doo. Unrealistic, optimistic, balderdash. What you really need at this time is some advice guaranteed to cut through all the sophomoric platitudes. And you've come to the right place, because here they are, nine pieces of real-world advice for today's grads. Might not be what you want to hear, but guaranteed to help. Their number one thing to remember is the five-second rule does not apply to ballparks, bus stations, or hospital waiting rooms. Think of getting tattoos like feeding gremlins, not to be done after midnight. No matter what you see on TV, overturned wooden tables are not adequate protection from assault weapons. You can't fix stupid. Gambling is a tax on people bad at math. Everyone is ditchable. Never trust anybody who says, at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, it gets dark. When they ask your name at Starbucks, tell them, Peter Pan. And finally, when someone says, this is not about money, you can rest assured, it's all about money. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst.
0: And I gotta say, Will does remind me of a quote attributed to Woody Allen, purportedly made to a graduating class during a commencement speech, which was that two paths lie ahead of you: one leads to utter despair, and the other to extinction. May you have the wisdom to choose wisely. We choose at this moment to take a short break. Let's let's do that. Uh, you're listening to. Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. We got lots more. Don't go anywhere.